Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. The fight is going E equals MC. That all men are created About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host, Ryan Treasure, and it's an exciting day because it's Finding Your Frequency Fridays, and we got a great guest for you guys today. You know, we always like to talk about interesting topics and, you know, different things. Last week, we were uh, talking about self-care and uh, some different things that are important to help kind of further people's purpose and passion in life. Uh, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, really paying attention to your own body and making sure that. Uh, you know you're you're able to operate at the best possible uh, frequency for yourself uh, so that way you can be a, the best earner for you and your family and you know always being able to take care of yourself is important before you can take care of others so that was last week's show if you guys didn't get a chance to take a listen to that uh, please do we had a great guest on with uh, Robert Allen uh, from ndcsolutions.com uh, so go check that out uh, if you guys want to check us out on social media you can follow us at findingafrequency.net net uh, on the website and of course uh, you can find us on uh, social media at finding your frequency net on facebook and then of course you can follow me at a radio ryan one just about everywhere on social media today's show we're going to talk about tech technology entrepreneurship uh and some really cool new technologies that have been you know really catching some steam over the last several months and our guest is an absolute expert uh, in these areas. And so we're going to talk to uh, Kirk Marple, who's the CEO and founder of Unstruck Data, which is a new company that's building the industry's leading unstructured data warehouse for automating data preparation via metadata enrichment, integrate compute and graph based search. Kirk has over 25 years of experience developing media management pipelines, leading DevOps at venture back companies and structuring successful exits. He holds multiple patents and industry awards and has truly established himself as an industry thought leader. So, Kirk, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Hey, thanks for taking time. I know that, uh, you know, you guys got a startup going on and uh, a lot of the work on those companies, uh, you know, come with, uh, you know, the startup action and getting funding and, you know, series A's and all that fun stuff. And, um, you know, we can talk about all of that and what you guys are doing over at, uh, unstruck data but before we get into you know all of that what you guys do at unstruck data and talk about some of my favorite stuff like uh, machine learning and some of those kind of things uh let's just kind of find out a little bit more about you and who you are and how you found your frequency in life and in business and how you ended up where you are yeah no thanks i mean it's been a it's been a ride i mean i started off uh, i mean going to college for computer science i mean but it originally honestly thought i wanted to go to culinary school so kind of original path uh, um, didn't really follow, but it's it's been a really interesting, I mean, kind of building companies, building software, um, really kind of finding that that path through life is, uh, has been pretty interesting. That's awesome. So um, did you end up getting your degree in computer science? 
Yeah, so did my undergrad in computer science and worked for several companies in the Washington, D.C. area and then headed to grad school on the West Coast, actually went to uh, grad school at University of British Columbia and then ended up at Microsoft um, for, I guess, six good years, had a great time in Microsoft research there and um, worked on a lot of, I mean, really uh, future looking products. I mean, back in the day, it was, I mean, 3D virtual worlds and I worked on Windows Media Player for a while. Um, so it was a great, I mean, great experience to cut my teeth after my master's and then ended up starting a company after that, that I, I mean, it was a, almost a dozen years of my life after uh, building it, bootstrapping it, selling it, and then working for the buyers for a while. So uh, that was a, a big chunk of what I've done in the, the last uh, last several years. That's awesome. Microsoft, uh, you know, I was just using uh, uh, Windows Media Player earlier today. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't like the new player on Windows 10, so I use Windows Media yeah. Player still. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, that was a, I mean, years and years ago that I worked on it back when CDs were still a thing, but yeah, yeah it was a really interesting, interesting project. Yeah, that's funny that you brought up CDs. Um, so I uh, I, li- I limelight uh, as a DJ uh, playing uh, turntables and mixing records. Nice. I used to do it professionally when I was younger on on, on AM and FM radio um, many many years ago. Um, and but I still I still dabble. And what was funny is I had found all of these CDs that I had lost that were in the back of my closet in my uh, my home office, <laughs> and I was just like, I gotta rip all these. I need the MP3 file so I can use them in my, you know, digital DJ, yeah. digital DJ software. And I spent three days ripping CDs with Windows Media Player because I tried some other software and it just didn't work as good as Windows Media Player did. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, I worked on the, um, basically what they called the CD uh, music database. So it was, I mean, figuring out like who, who the artists were. And I mean, it's all common now with Spotify and all that, but it's, that's where I really got the first experience with like, what we call metadata. I mean, kind yeah. of the, the data around, I mean, who who the album was and I mean, who the artist was and all that and worked on it. I mean, honestly, that's, I mean, that's, I don't know, 20 years ago now, but it's honestly been a path that, I mean, I've not intentionally followed, but it's, it's always been kind of there of dealing with all the different file formats and metadata and media management and all that is, it's been a common thread. Yeah, and you're still dealing with metadata with your new uh, yeah. with your new stuff with Unstruck because I know like metadata, you know, for me especially in broadcast is extremely important, right? I mean, when I'm when I'm loading up audio files into our automation, you know, it's very important that the metadata is there so we know where it came from and all that kind of stuff. And then I'm starting to notice too, there's lots of metadata that's included in podcasts and the delivery mm-hmm. of those podcasts, and um, and then also you know metadata in uh, a lot of new industries that I'm seeing that are really starting to break out, which we can definitely talk about, which is, I'm sure, right in your in your wheelhouse. Uh, you know, as a lot of companies move to, you know, the industry, industry 4.0 kind of methodology of automated, you know, factories and some of those kind of things, you know, you're really reliant on uh, metadata to make sure that all the machines and all the things that are being automated and the AI and machine learning are all, you know, able to kind of talk to each other um, in, in those spaces. So, Tell me a little bit about how Unstruck Data is using metadata enrichment and, and all that stuff for your integrated compute and your graph-based search, which I think is really cool. Yeah, no, I'd love to. I mean, it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, so I, as I said, I mean, I, I spent a dozen years or so in the media entertainment industry. I mean, we had, I built software that we sold to a lot of the major broadcasters and ESPN and Fox and people like that. And I mean, it's metadata in their um, their realm is, is really used for a different, I mean, different case. It's 
sometimes it gets passed on to like YouTube and Netflix and kind of it flows with the content as well as helping you search for the content. But what I actually found is I worked at General Motors for a while and then a few different other companies after after I sold my first startup. And the, it's a lot of the similar data. It's images, it's audio, it's video, but they're actually trying to figure out what's, what is the data about? It's not for eyeballs, like for a consumer, like, like you and I, it's really getting plugged into machine learning or getting plugged into um, different line of business applications. And I started to realize all the tools that I built and been familiar with for, for the um, entertainment industry didn't exist in, in a like sort of what you call heavy industry, like manufacturing and chemical companies and things. And so I started to speculate while, while I was a GM and after that maybe a lot of the things I built before those concepts could apply to, to industries. And that was really the kind of seminal part of, of starting Unstruck. And it, it was kind of an idea that kind of started germinating after I left GM and I ended up getting recruited to a couple different companies as like CTO or VP and still had it in the back of my mind that this idea of building a knowledge graph from the metadata um, and using that to organize the data and then search it um, and then also visualize it and integrate it with other things could be really interesting. So I ended up at a company um, in the Bay Area that I was CTO of and we were sort of in this space, dabbling in this space. They were a drone company. And I started to realize, I mean, look, I think there's a more generic kind of platform here that could be possible that could apply to a, a lot I mean, wider swath of folks. And so ended up, I mean, COVID had something to do with it. It was kind of like we were kind of changing direction on that product. I, I mean, really wanted to keep moving forward in this, ended up working on a seed round of funding and was lucky enough to, to get a great set of investors and, and kick this off back in, I mean, I guess it's only been about four or five months really since we got fully going um, and have a team of almost 10 people now all heading in this direction. I mean, building, building this whole architecture and we're getting ready to ship in about, I mean, about six weeks or so. So what's an unstructured data warehouse? You know, I, yeah. I, you know, I did a show, oh, I don't know, it was a few weeks ago that we talked about data centers, you know, basically just, just how the fact that data centers power our daily digital lives, right? Like if you're on mm -hmm. social media, you know, you're on a website, whatever, like all of those are going through a data center of some sort. Um, but those are all like structured data centers, right? So what's the difference between an unstructured data warehouse and a structured one? Yeah, I mean, in a, in a structured sense, it's the pretty classic, I mean, think of almost like a spreadsheet. I mean, you got, you got tables or and rows and columns. I mean, there's a structure to it that, I mean, everybody can kind of have that, um, I don't know if you would say the, the lingua franca of that, of like everybody can communicate over that data in a, in a pretty standard way. And the term SQL um, is, a, is an API and, a, and sort of a, a language that, you can query that data in a very standard way in a structured world, but for unstructured data, and for me, unstructured data is, is kind of any any sort of document or media file type that lives as a separate file. Um, so it's it's what you and I would have as a like Google Photos or iPhoto. I mean, dealing with your images and video. Essentially, that's unstructured data. And what we do is we pull out the structured part of it because there always is some level of structure we can find inside the file. So we have what are called parsers for all the different data types. And we pull out things that we find useful, like when the time the image was taken or the GPS location that the video was captured, or, I mean, there's a lot of data in there. Even um, we're dealing with some 
um, special thermal infrared cameras that you can have the temperature of what it's looking at in inside that file. So you essentially have to crack the files open, extract data from it, and then create another set of data that is somewhat structured that you can query on. And so that's what we're doing is kind of creating data from data, creating structured data from unstructured data. And all you have to do is basically put the data into the warehouse and we do everything else for you. We extract it, we allow you to search on it and visualize it. Um, and that's really the big difference is, I mean, we're kind of chewing up that data that the, com the companies give us and we give it back to them in a form that's more useful. As a founder or business owner, you know what it's like to run your entire business from your inbox. Between the sales, recruiting, and fundraising emails, things can get messy really fast. Streak is a CRM designed to help stay on top of each part of your process and your inbox without leaving Gmail. Amazing. Let's not leave Gmail. Let's just work from right there. Streak gives you tools for email tracking, mail merges, and snippets, saves you time, and you can scale up your email efficiency. In just a few minutes, you can also set up pipelines right inside your inbox, start tracking your contacts and emails through each process. Streak helps you collaborate by sharing emails and pipelines with team members, whether you work in an office, out in the field, or on a remote team. Pipelines are completely customizable so you can track processes and details specific to your business. Access your pipeline on desktop or mobile app to add and share information in meetings, at job sites, or however you work on the go. Sign up for Streak today at streak.com slash frequency and get 20% off your first year of their pro plan, their most popular option. That's streak.com slash frequency for 20% off their pro plan. Streak.com slash frequency. So kind of referring back to what I was talking about with Industry 4.0, and I know you guys working mm -hmm. with machine learning, um, we actually have a show on the network that's uh, by SAP, who's all about Industry 4.0 and, you know, automated mm -hmm. manufacturing and all that kind of stuff. Um, how, how does how does what you do uh, fit into that space of automo uh, automated manufacturing and, and all that kind of stuff? Like what, what types of metadata is being used, you know, uh, within machine learning for that type of environment? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of a lot of the companies we talked to have solved the quote capture side of the equation. So they know how to capture images or video. I mean, they have the devices around, or they have people literally going around with mobile phones capturing data in, in their environment. So they've they know they need to, and it's really more of like an inspection use case. They know they have to visually inspect like conveyor belts, or I mean, we're dealing with some ports that are looking to see like, hey, when did the bumper on the water side fall off because a boat hit it too hard. And if they can capture the data just via images over time, we can then track that and through the computer vision, we could say, look, in, I mean, the first like 50 photos you gave us, we saw this bumper there. The computer vision, like machine learning algorithm found this bumper. And for some reason, like in January, that bumper fell off. And so the computer vision um, no longer saw a bumper, and we can look at that trend and sort of see those edges and see, oh, wow, this used to exist, it doesn't exist now, and we can tell the customer, like, hey, we identified a, a sort of trigger point in your data that we're seeing a change. And that's a lot what they, I mean, they do all that manually. So, I mean, literally have people walking around their facilities, I mean, hours a day, I taking pictures to capture the data, but also essentially manually inspecting and manually having to having to triage and identify the problems, what we give them is a, a facility to automatically do that. Um, now, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. You still have to 
customize the machine learning algorithms for each use case, but we're, our goal is to kind of give them 80% as a platform to build on, and then they may have to tune it and refine it the last 20% for their specific organization needs. And I'm sure probably most of the organizations all have kind of different parameters of how, you know, they need their data delivered to them, right? So you guys are structuring yep. that data based upon whatever the customer is looking for. Um, wow, that's, that's yeah, interesting. We have, we have some common like time and what we call geospatial, sort of like on a map view, mm -hmm. and then the metadata are things that are common to any customer. And so we, we are kind of opinionated that we map everything to one common set of, um, of sort of data uh, that we can query on, but then there's always going to be kind of custom bespoke stuff for, for each customer as well. So as you guys are ingesting all of this, uh, you know, unstructured metadata to put it out into a structured thing and you're parsing that data, which I'm, which I'm, a, I'm very familiar with the, you know, idea of parsing data, just working in, mm -hmm. in broadcast, right? Because, you know, we take raw uh, WC3 log files and parse all the data out for stats for our, our radio yep, listeners, yep. right? You know, looking for, you know, how, you know, what, what was their get method and all that fun stuff. And, you know, what did they access in their IP address, which should we then use to correlate to geolocation and all that fun stuff but you know that that type of 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 parsing and and data manipulation and movement takes a lot of computing power um mm -hmm. what are you guys doing to 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 manage that portion of of what you're doing i i would imagine that it takes quite a bit of processing power yeah i mean we're so we're, we're fully a cloud-based solution um we actually run on microsoft azure today okay. um the one thing we've done is it's um it's called what's a, a serverless architecture so it's all based on events and triggers so we have basically each file that we see um, from a customer triggers a set of workflow steps um, but the good thing about it is on the cloud i mean you can actually burst out um capacity very easily and also then kind of wind down that capacity as needed. So I could run, say, dump like 100,000 images into our system, and it'll sit and, I mean, it'll peak out for, I don't know, half an hour or so, an hour, chewing away on all those files, however long it takes. But then it'll kind of like wind its way down and say, look, I only need one or two servers um, or one or two uh, workers sitting here. Um, I don't need to have the thousand that I spun up for that hour. And it's a way to manage costs. Um, but it's also a way that we can do things faster too, because we can scale out in parallel. Um, and so that's, I mean, intentionally, we made this into a very scalable solution because mm -hmm. I mean, we have some customers that are talking, <coughs> to me, about, I mean, hundreds of terabytes of data. And we need to be able to support, I mean, even just getting the data into our system takes a while, um, just copying data in. So we can't take a huge amount of time other than that because they're already, I mean, having to give us their data in the first place. And then that does take, um, I mean, take a little bit of time. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that that's exactly how our, our systems work as well. Um, we're all in the cloud. And, uh, you know, if uh, if we're crunching stats and then it decides that it needs some extra computing power, right, it'll automatically spin up some other processing power. Yeah. And then we also have that also on our on our application side as well for the front end of our website where, right, if you start getting a huge amount of traffic that the server can't handle, you know, it's going through the load balancer and the load balancer goes, oh, okay, 
we're going to split this traffic and, you know, spin up another, you know, virtual server over here. And yeah, that's definitely, I think, the way that a lot of companies are moving towards with technology based workflows and, you know, also ensuring um, uh, the, the, you know, the limitation of having downtime too, right? Because you always have, you know, some type of a virtual machine to fail over to in the event that something happens. And, you know, that mitigates, I think, a lot of downtime too. Are you guys seeing that as well? Yeah, exactly. And I think it, it gives us that ability where, I mean, we can do the failover, we can I mean, scale out on demand, and it, it's a much more resilient architecture. And, and, and we wrote it, I mean, I, I wrote it um, really over the last couple of years, I mean, and tried different things and kind of settled on this architecture, which, I mean, has served us really, really well. So, so like I had most of the, I guess you call it the platform kind of backend functionality. Um, I've been working actually on a podcast discovery platform to kind of enhance and enrich the data that's within podcasts and kind of build a knowledge graph from that. And that's what I essentially pivoted into um, into this architecture. And we're just using it for, for more of a commercial use case rather than a consumer use case. Well, we might have to talk about that later offline here because uh, that sounds like something we could use. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was that was my original goal of this. I mean, I, I mean, I, we still have the IP. It's it's more we uh, are taking more of a B two B model instead of B two C. But I think it's I'd love to come back to that someday because I still think it's valuable. It's uh it's just a a different, more consumer friendly use case. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And uh, yeah, I hope you do come back to that uh, after you get, you know, all of this off the ground, because I think it's something that's needed in our in our industry for sure. Yeah, no, and, and I think it's interesting. I mean, it's even from a research standpoint, I mean, trying to I have a daughter who's in graduate school and trying to research things and correlate different types of media from video and images. I think this uh, this whole knowledge graph concept I've been really interested in the last, I mean, I guess, three or four years. And there's just so many applications of uh, of how to correlate data, and um, and and we're just really scratching the surface at this point. Yeah, that's great. So, are you guys using um, you know artificial intelligence in anything that you do, or is it yeah. is it just machine learning? Like, what? Uh, give us a little insight into that because I know those are huge buzzwords right now with AI, machine learning. Uh, you know, a lot of large uh, scale companies are leveraging that. I know SAP has their uh, you know mm-hmm. their 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 Leonardo AI, and you know you have uh, you know IBM Watson and all that stuff. Um, so, what are you guys doing to leverage that technology? within your infrastructure? Yeah, so we're, we're leveraging today um, Azure Cognitive Services, which is a bundle of different um, computer vision and, and natural language processing and machine learning APIs. And it's really cool. I mean, you can give it a document and it'll extract the words um, out of the document and then look for entities in the documents. So you can find like people, places, things in, the, in a document. Um, we can give it images or video even. Um, It'll identify um, objects in the image. Um, so, I mean, you could give it, uh, I don't know, like a construction site. It'll know that there's a like a truck there and a building there and dirt and all these kind of things. And it gives you back like a couple dozen um, what we call tags from anything that you um, you identify. And then even we do audio like text extraction. You can give it a Zoom meeting and you can actually um, extract all the words and find out the entities from that. So the idea is that we're extracting essentially this structured taxonomy, a, t- a set of tags from documents, images, videos, whatever, and then creating edges between them. Um, basically, I mean, tying together those tags and the media, say, look, here's a company name. I heard somebody speak it in a meeting. 
I saw it in a document, and I literally saw this on the side of a building in an image. And that's where we can create those edges and automatically um, build up that knowledge base that's really multimedia, um, truly. Wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm all nerding out over here. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's, it's really exciting. Because, I mean, I, I think the, the other part of this is, I mean, we're using commodity ML and AI today. I mean, we're using it from Azure, it's just out of the box. But we do anticipate, and this is our plan for later this year, is to build it more of like a plug-in model that companies might want to plug in their own algorithms or there's other vendors that we can find um, because we're not going to build everyone. I mean, there's so many different ones that are tuned to different types of data and different vertical markets and things like that. And, and we just see it as a platform. Like we're coming out of the box with something that gives you kind of that 80%, like it works pretty well in a generic way, but we know there's going to be a lot of tuning and a lot of special things that happen in the, like, I don't know, like a port might have different, uh, like computer vision algorithms than uh, like chicken manufacturing plant or something that we've talked to. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, something just struck me is with what you were talking about with, um, you know, you said that you could feed um, the AI uh, a Zoom meeting and then it would convert it into text and then you could get the tags out of it. Um, this is something that I run into do as a challenge all the time when, when looking at like transcripts for of audio content, right? That people use for blog articles and other promotional mediums and social media and stuff like that. Um, how accurate is the, yeah. the, the model uh, for converting that into text? Because that's what I always find when I'm looking at, you know, these companies that claim that they can convert, you know, audio and video to text. And then, you know, you try it out and then it's like, wait a minute, it's very clear audio. They're clearly speaking regular English. Nobody has a southern accent or an East Coast yeah. accent. Yeah. And then you look at the document, it's like, I got to spend 20 minutes fixing this because yeah. it didn't it didn't extrapolate it right. Are you guys do you guys find that problem as well with some AI when converting, uh, you know, content to text? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a common, I mean, it's not a perfect world yet. I mean, and, and who knows if it ever will be, but the good thing is I've talked to, and there's new vendors coming out every day. Um, there's a couple, um, a company called primer.ai, a company called assembly.ai um, that I've been talking to that are kind of like better than the average. And so like Azure, uh, Microsoft has a bunch of um, models that they have, but you can always find a specialist. And so um, another one is, is it's even by vertical. I mean, like healthcare has very different language requirements and even written and spoken than like a normal industry and stuff. So that's something we do anticipate getting into is like, we hopefully can release more kind of tuned mm -hmm. um, models as we understand like, okay, like here's the, the sort of language that a manufacturing, like a chemical company would use versus a port or a, um, I don't know, like a university. Um, we we talked to them about their their like building maintenance and stuff like that. So there's going to have to be tuning that's done at that level to be really really accurate. Um, but we're at least showing the kind of a bit more generic. Like here's here's the capabilities um, to get off the ground, and then we know we're going to have to refine that in, in in specific verticals later. Yeah, totally agree. Funny funny story though, right? So I, I, I brought up a, a Word document, right? And you know how you can you can dictate to a Word document? Yeah. <laughs> so just for, for fun, I decided to try this the other day. I took my microphone and I put it next to my speakers and I started playing a radio show off of the website and I, I'll be darn it, do you know how good the dictation was for Word? <laughs> yeah. I, I, was, I was pretty surprised. 
and they, I mean, they've gotten really, really good. And even yeah. some of these other companies I've talked to are like even an order of magnitude better. And it's, I mean, it's surprisingly good. And so, and other, I mean, even for us, like, I mean, we want to identify specific things like, I don't know, like an equipment ID number or something like that. And, and sure, that's going to be very specialized to what um, our customer is dealing with. But that's an area we see is having the ability to say, look, here, give us your list of all the potential equipment. And then we can tune the text algorithm to look specifically for those IDs. So you can make it very like specialized to the customer mm -hmm. um, with a bit of extra work. And so that's that's something we're definitely looking at for the future is to I mean make it more and more accurate because that's where a lot of the value is going to come from. Yeah, I could see a whole bunch of applications too for that, including like inventory, right? I mean, yeah. if, if you are, if you wanted to take inventory and it was just as easy as like, let me go in and take some, you know, snapshots of my fleet or whatever, right? Uh, and then send them through the algorithm or whatever that you guys have. And then you give me a, you know, um, uh, an equipment list back just based off of me taking photos. Uh, yeah. That saves me a whole bunch of time. Plus, I'm probably, uh, I'm probably better off doing what's in my wheelhouse rather than walking to each truck and writing down the number and the make and the model of the vehicle and, you know, all of those things to that way I can hand my, you know, superintendent an equipment list, right? Being able to take photos yeah. of the equipment as you walk down the road takes about five minutes and then just send it over to you guys, right? I mean, that's, you know, in a sense, I, I know it's very low level, but I mean, in a sense, that's one of the capabilities of the technology that you're building and, and, and one thing that that could solve, correct? Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's an area we've talked, we talked to one company that's a, a electric company and they were taking pictures of the IDs on the power poles and they were trying to identify those and then correlate those numbers on like those metal tags in the power pole back to essentially an equipment ID list. And that's really where we're heading is to be able to automate a lot of that. And you could say, well, here, give us your, connect us up to your database that has your full list of what we should find. And then we can show them like, Hey, we found like, I mean, give them almost like a histogram of here's every piece of equipment, here's how many images we found of each piece of equipment, and then look for the negative space of like, oh, weird, like why did we never see these two like poles over here or something? And um, and also tracking it over time is really important and on a map. So you could then map all of that and say, oh, weird, why is there this outlier we found like, I don't know, four miles away that uh, that shouldn't be there. So that's, that's really where I'm really interested in seeing is starting to look for anomalies and look for trends. Um, really for this quarter, we're focused just on getting the data in, and then we'll really start uh, looking at like, just tracking those insights that we can pull out of it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I could see this market being pretty large for you guys, especially with, you know, um, getting into, you know, civil municipalities and, yeah. you know, some of those kind of things. I know my neighbor works for the city of Phoenix and she works in the traffic department. And that's one of the things that she has to go do um, is go out to, uh, you know, uh, traffic lights uh, and make sure that they're working appropriately and yep. get their ID numbers and all that kind of stuff. And she's doing all that manually, you know, with a laptop and a truck and inputting all the data in manually. So that could like maybe give her out. That's of exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's really dead on the kind of stuff we've looked at is, I mean, helping augment, like it's not gonna replace the human, but it's gonna augment the human and just take a lot of that mundane work. I mean, we've talked to somebody at a port that is literally just walking around six hours a day, taking pictures of things, doing their rounds for maintenance and things. But, and we're actually gonna build a mobile application to help augment that and 
literally by the time they get back to their desk, we've already auto-indexed and organized all that data and hopefully triage things, maybe kind of bubbled it to the top of things they, they should look at. Oh, that's pretty cool. So they just take the photos through the mobile app and then right into the database they go and that's pretty cool. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so we, that's, a, that's what we're working on right now and, and it, you can kind of take these sessions of data um, and then kind of like you could say, like have a manager sort of watch the, the people and, and then it'll sort of auto triage that data and say, look, here, like, I mean, uh, manager person, just take a look at these at these images because we think there's there could be a problem there. And that's sort of auto triaging that via the like machine learning part of it. Yeah. Wow. So many implications. Um, I know that you guys said that you just got your funding. What's kind of the roadmap for you guys as you yeah. kind of work work towards uh, you know getting additional funding and you know start you know in uh, so I guess what am I looking for um, uh, streamlining what you guys are doing? What's kind of yeah. the roadmap for that? Yeah. So we're um, I mean pretty much from start to finish we're looking at about a six month process from getting our funding to getting into the hands of customers. Um, in a sort of release state. So we're trying to get to what we'd think of like as a 1.0 um, in about, I don't know, say six, six eight weeks max. Um, we're really just mo mostly finishing out the front end user interface at this point, um, just fixing bugs, tweaking design, filling in missing pieces. Um, we have at least, I don't know, almost a dozen warm uh, potential design partners that we want to get using the product that we've already been talking to. And that's really the goal. So this quarter, um, I guess uh, up until the fall, um, it's really all about just getting customer feedback, um, not even in a in a paid way at first, but just getting getting people using it, getting experience, um, making any changes that we need to that we we maybe missed, and then the winter uh, is really more of a of a bigger rollout. I mean, actually getting people paying, kind of getting into more of a normal customer, uh, I don't know, yeah, what do you want to say, cycle, uh, sales cycle, and then. Funding-wise, I mean, we, we actually have a, I mean, a good amount of runway still. We got 20 plus months of runway already uh, at this point. So we've been really frugal. It's a, I mean, a pretty tight team. We all have worked together before. And, uh, but most likely look for funding next uh, next year, probably next spring um, is what we're looking at right now. But we, we just want to show progress and show customers using it and get that traction. That's that's really what it's all about. And I, I've been talking to, still talking to potential investors and, it's been really positive. They understand the, I mean, what we're doing and what the need in the market is. And we've had a, I mean, a lot of interest. Um, and so we'll do a series A at some point, probably really next year. And uh, I mean, really, and then that's the point where then we start really pushing on building on machine learning algorithms. And I mean, stretching this this out into a much, a much wider space. Wow, that's cool. Really like that. So, um, you know, as as I'm thinking about the implications of your product that you're working on, you know, is 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 this product something that could be leveraged for, uh, you know, uh, DevOps teams as well to help organize all of the data points that come with a, a given, you know, a website build or some kind of technology builds? That's an interesting point. I mean, it's technically at its core, it could be. Um, we've started off with more of an opinionated model of um, really tracking this more geospatially and temporally, like over time. Um, and so we're focused a bit more on almost like a, you'd say like an outdoor use case. I mean, things that happen in the environment and are tracked over time. But technically, like I said, I started with this podcast discovery idea that the engine that we built, the knowledge graph, could actually be applied to a lot of different areas. And we, um, 
actually just got an inbound lead from a, I guess you call them a, um, a medical company. I mean, somebody doing um, bio biomedical and stuff. And they had a need to build knowledge crafts between like patients and drugs and, and different um, things and actually be able to build out a knowledge graph from all the data they have. And it's not our sweet spot today, but like technically, if we wanted to like spin off a new product line or something like that eventually, I mean, we really could because the core of what we built has a, has a ton of different applications, not just where we're headed right now. Yeah, that's awesome because I know, and I'm sure you understand this too as a as a as a as a developer too. Like when you go yeah. in when you go in to start, you know, project managing for a given project, and you start sitting down and you know, okay, what are my sprints look like and delivery and and you know, starting to figure out what code base you're using. Like all of those kind of things get to be almost almost as much work as you know when you start coding and actually doing the work in the first place. The yeah. the planning yeah. the planning is just as just as hard as the as the actual you know build as far as uh, I've seen in, in some stuff that I've worked on. And, uh, you know, I think that that'd be cool to be able to have a tool where you could plug in all your data points and it organize it for you versus, you know, uh, take out the human error element, you know? Yeah. And I think even just, I mean, we, we deal with this every day of just, um, crossing the lines between design and product and engineering and, oh wait, did we say this in a meeting? Like, I mean, going back and correlating the notes from a meeting and even what was spoken on a zoom meeting back to Slack and back to, I don't know. I mean, Jira, like, in the, and tracking the tasks and all that. And I think it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, if we can come up with a kind of a an insight generation engine that works across a, a, a lot of different use cases, I mean, we could pull that back out and apply it to like DevOps and developers, or I mean, academia or different things like that. And and that's kind of where I mean, I'm I've always been sort of a platform guy. Like, I always think broad, but then you got to sell specific for more vertical. Um, but I think the platform that we built horizontally has, I mean, a ton of future applications. And it also gives us an ability that if we're off the mark a little bit, we can pivot a little bit um, because I know the technology can support it. Yeah, I think that's probably an important business decision, especially in today's kind of environment where, you know, uh, we just we just witnessed, you know, for the last 18 months or whatever, you know, I don't know how many people started pivoting, you know, yeah. in, in their businesses to keep up with the pandemic stuff that's been happening. And, you know, um, I know that's something that we had to do, too. We had to switch, not not change our business model, but just, you know, pivoted in another direction with some different options for pricing and different options for, um, you know, the, the you know, changing the barrier to entry uh, to, to working with our company and doing some of the things that we do just because of the way that the industry and landscape changed uh, because of COVID. So, um, you know, knowing that that's a possibility in the future for you guys and having a plan of attack and knowing that that product can pivot in many directions, I think is a very good business choice because, you know, I, I, especially when you, when you talk about business, right. You always have contingency plans for, you know, fire and hazard and all this other kind of stuff. But I don't know about you, but I didn't, our company didn't have a contingency plan for a pandemic. No, <laughs> you know what I mean. No. And so now it's like now it's like okay, well now we know that that's possible. So now we have to have a pandemic, you know, preparedness plan. <laughs> well, even all the other trickle down things, like my old company. I mean, we, um, I mean, when we were looking at the original product, we were looking at oil and gas as one market segment. But then when COVID hit, I mean, just the whole energy market and everything just got upended. Yeah. I mean, or you think about like um, supply chains and everything like that. It's, I mean, if you're selling into one of those areas, it literally, or God, I mean, travel and hotels and everything, like 
you have to be able to pivot quickly um, because your whole market just disappeared overnight. So I think, I mean, I have to think about it from a technical sense, but also a business sense of really just kind of hedging your bets a little bit. Like if, if for some reason we don't get traction in this one area I and mean, we do have kind of plan B, plan C, plan D that, I mean, we can, we can try and execute on without blowing up the company. I mean, we're just kind of turning the wheel a tiny bit and just aiming at a different spot. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you're not doing a 180. You're just doing a course correction. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was in the Navy, so you know we're gonna we're gonna cut two degrees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's. I mean, it's that's the kind of way I look at it. Is I mean, you gotta. It's you gotta be really pragmatic. I mean, you can't put all your eggs in one basket, but then you can't be completely generic because it's really hard to sell a generic platform, too. So you kind of have to. I mean, we look at it as you gotta have to balance both those those opportunities. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And you know, you, you've you've done this before, so you kind of have you know that experience with the other startup business that you've done, and you know, yeah. mo- moving into this one. Do you find it easier as an entrepreneur um, to build this business than you did when you did your first one? Yeah, I mean, I have to say yes. I mean, I think it's i I went through a lot of the ups and downs and pain because number one, we were bootstrap, so it was. I mean down to our last dollar and then we'd get like a 50 grand check (laughs) the next day and it was just like ups and downs and ups and downs and so um and my i mean my family the kids were small then and it's just like trying to manage like i mean um a family and startup and all that kind of stuff it's it's a huge stress and just a huge challenge and i think now it's just i mean life's a little when the kids are older it's less stress of of dealing with that at the same time and and just i think i've learn so many lessons i mean painful lessons but a lot of lessons of i mean how to manage people properly how to kind of look ahead while managing the day-to-day and and all that and i mean it's it's just but there's also different problems i mean now i have investors to answer to where i before i didn't um and there's there's a lot more risk i mean i have 10 people's livelihood and their family's livelihood sitting i mean on my back of just making sure that this company is successful so it's uh, as we're gonna, I mean, I am anticipating this company to be an order of magnitude larger than my last company. And that's gonna be a much bigger challenge too. I mean, a lot more at stake. Yeah, I like what you said that you, you, you made a lot of mistakes. I call that failing up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, and even now, I mean, I look at, I mean, daily of like, am I getting too in the weeds with one thing? And I mean, I don't know, I gotta pull back in one area and um, just let my delegate, like delegation is so key. Um, and yeah. then just trying to manage that, like while maintaining control, but not maintaining too much control. Um, but I have a great set of people. I mean, we've all worked together at, at different companies. And um, even though we are, I mean, completely remote first, um, we do know each other um, pretty well. And so I think that that helps. Um, but it's also, I mean, it's a maintaining a, a remote culture is also, I mean, important. Just make sure communication is good. Make sure there's open lines of, uh, of discussion and and you're always going to run into pain points and things like that. But I mean, just trying to be open about everything. is uh, yeah. help. That's my love hate relationship with Microsoft teams. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's, I mean, uh, we, I mean, we're a Slack company and you, we've used teams as well, but it's, it is, it's one of those things. Like, I mean, we got caught in a situation earlier this week where literally trying to talk about one button in the user interface ended up being like a 20 minute discussion in in slack and then if we had just like said nope nope stop jump over to audio or get on video and show it through like you just got to use the tools for the right situation and it's it's too easy to get rat hold and, and <laughs> just not have optimal communication 
Yeah, you know, I have a rule with both text messaging and, and, and actually any kind of messaging, right? If I have to send more than two sentences, right, in a, in a, in a, in a text yeah. message or like on, you know, Teams or something like that, I, if I have to send more than two, if I have more than two sentences to say, I'm picking up the phone and calling you. <laughs> it's smart, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's really true. I mean, I think, and, and it's so easy in the moment to kind of forget that and, and it's like, I'm kind of reminding myself of that because it happened this week, but it's, it, uh, you really have to find the right path and, yeah. and make sure. And also, I mean, a really interesting point is everybody's a different kind of learner and communicator. Like mm-hmm. I'm much more of a visual communicator and visual learner. Some people are audio. I mean, some people are better at writing, some people aren't. And having to kind of learn everybody's strengths and weaknesses and then communicate in the best channel, I think is a really big, important um, growth area for, uh, for remote work, especially. Yeah, I think, you know, that's a challenge with just about anybody, especially, I mean, you know, when you have um, in, in, in a lot of instances with larger companies that have bigger employee bases, you end up with, you know, multiple generations at a given company and all of those different generations all kind of like, you know, communicate differently. I, I have a I have a 20 year old who works for me right now and he does he does not answer the phone ever. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but he'll text you back in five seconds. That, you know? It's so funny. My, my <laughs> son's for me as well. And he works for us as well. So that's, <laughs> that's ironic. But yeah, he's, I mean, he's totally like, and now he won't even look at his, uh, his text. He'll look at like discord or like other, other tools. And yeah. so it's, uh, yeah, you just kind of have to learn where to, where to, I mean, how to plug things in. So. Yeah, it's so funny. It's just like some some of these younger kids, they literally live their lives with headphones in their ears constantly, 24 hours a day, seven days a yep. week. And, you know, their their mode of communication is like, yo, DM me on Insta. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I'm like, yep. I'm, I'm old. What, did, what the heck did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> I totally feel that. No, even so even my seven-year-old daughter comes home with words, and I'm like, what is that? Where did you hear that? Is that bad? Good? I don't even know what it yep. is. <laughs> the Urban Dictionary is your friend. <laughs> exactly. No, and it's funny. I mean, it's a probably similar age. It's like uh, having people who work for us, I mean, that uh, that are the same age as my kids, too. So it's it's funny to look at and be like, okay, wait. I mean, it's like. Can't be in dad mode now. Have to be in, in boss mode, even though they're the same age. Oh, uh, you know, I find that difficult every now and again too. When I have one of my younger employees and they have like a car problem, or you know, they're complaining about their roommate situation or whatever, and I'm like. I could totally answer this question for you, but I don't really yeah. want to get, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't want yeah. you to, I don't want you to think as, cause I've actually had an employee. I gave them some advice and they got mad at me. Oh, wow. Right, a younger employee, you know, um, don't, don't tell me how to live my life. This is for me to figure out. And I was like, Oh, yeah. I wasn't telling you what to do. I just was giving you a <laughs> suggestion. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so anyway, I, that needs to whole be a whole other podcast series. It's like dad bosses or something. <laughs> we should probably start that. We, you and I could probably co-host that one. <laughs> That's great. Man, well, it's been great talking with you. We got just a couple more minutes left in the program here. Sure. Um, 
you know, tell people where they can find out information about you, the company, uh, maybe your social media, that kind of stuff. And, you know, where, uh, you know, people, because a, a lot of people that listen to this show are technology people, they're entrepreneurs, you know, they may have a, a, a use for uh, what you're doing. And so, you know, where can people find more information about Kirk, the company, and, uh, and, and you know, follow along with the, uh, uh, you know, the growth of, uh, of the company with Unstruck and what you guys are doing? Yeah, for sure. No, it's uh, so the company website is it's just unstruck u n s t r u k and dot uh, com, and so that's the company website. Um, Kirk Marple on LinkedIn, um, as well as Twitter, and then I think we're at unstruck um, on Twitter as well. Um, so that's our main stuff. But I'm um, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, I love to. I mean, I've met. I mean, a ton of people actually from um, doing podcasts and and even from investors and customers and. Um, I always take calls with anybody, even, I mean, just of talking about entrepreneurship and I mean, any, any just advice I can give, I'm always happy to, um, from my experience, but yeah, it's going to be exciting. I mean, I'm really excited about our launch. I mean, we have a, there's a conference we're going to be going to in, um, October, um, a reality capture network conference in Idaho that we're going to attend. And that's going to be our kind of launch party for the product. And then we have Ooh, we're, at, in, we're at, we're at Idaho. Um, Boise. Oh, all right. Yeah. My I, I, my family's from there, from Idaho. Oh, nice. All over, yeah, the, all over uh, the place. Yeah. This one's going to be cool. We actually we just hired somebody in Boise as well, and um, right outside of Boise. And uh, but yeah, this one looks fun. It's going to be all about three D scanning and and three D like uh, I don't know um, for construction and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So I'm really excited about that conference, and that'll kind of be the first time that we're. I mean, we're going to kind of push the button really widely and hopefully get a lot of signups after that. Um, and then uh, and then doing a conference. Uh, it's Data Day Texas in Austin in January, which looks like a really good conference as oh, well. Cool. So we're going we're to attend and, and uh, present at that one as well. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I got to go uh, the actually I, the last event that I went to before uh, you know COVID was in November of 2019, and um, I got to go to this really cool thing called Digital Hollywood. And I walked in, oh, yeah. and we, we were broadcasting there, right? So we we set up our broadcast table, and we're doing interviews with the vendors and different things. And I, I wasn't quite sure what Digital Hollywood was, right? I had I had never been there before. I walked through the door, and oh man, I was in heaven. They had uh, they had uh, August reality stuff all over the place and you know um all kinds of different uh things uh leveraging like you know the unreal engine for gaming yeah 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 and so how um and how tv and film was leveraging it and how dreamworks is using the unreal engine to create characters for cartoon-based content and like it was really really interesting and then to see like a pod where you sit in there and you and you, you know, put on the goggles and it gets you into uh, an, an immersive destination and it was like it was the coolest experience I've ever had with um, you know any kind of you know virtual reality stuff because I'm sitting in this pod and you literally feel weightless and the game was you were Spider-Man flying through downtown New York shooting your webs and every time it caught onto a building the chair would move and the breeze would hit oh, you. Wow, it was yeah. so cool but yeah and so just you mentioned three-dimensional stuff and I couldn't help but uh, remember the 3D rendering of um, oh man what's what, uh, it's like a singer that uh, had orange hair that passed away like a year ago or maybe oh, two years um, ago oh wait I think I know who you mean um, I'm bad I'm bad with remembering the pro- is it the guy from the prodigy yes correct yeah I'm and, trying to remember and, and the lab yeah. and the labyrinth yeah 
Okay. Uh, David Bowie. There we go. David Bowie. Oh, yeah. So they used the Unreal Engine to create a three-dimensional character of David Bowie and put him in a video game. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, it was, like, super cool. And then, you know, the way that they do uh, 3D imaging with green screens and, you know, some of those kind of things, too, which I thought was interesting. So, you know, all of that metadata is what you're talking about. There's just so much metadata that comes out of that, too. So I could probably see your stuff working in, in that space as well. There's been, I mean, just even today, there was, a, I mean, a bunch of acquisitions that are happening in the 3D space, kind mm-hmm. of closing the loop with like the, I mean, Epic and, and their engine and yep. kind of even more business use cases for 3D. And I think you're going to start to see a lot of kind of crossovers between business and, and um, entertainment in a lot of ways. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, we even, I mean, the idea of as you're walking around your facility, looking at um, things like a conveyor belt, if we could show in augmented reality what it looked like three months ago and kind of overlay those things. And, and I think there's so much interesting stuff we can do in that realm just to, to augment people's uh, analysis of all this unstructured data. Totally agree, Kirk. And man, what what a great time I've had with you. I want to thank you for being on the show. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. For sure. You know, I know, I know, I know. Being a startup entrepreneur, you're doing like fifty thousand things at one time. So, <laughs> I appreciate Thank's you taking true. time uh, and hanging out with us today, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to Kirk Marple, founder and CEO at Unstruck Data. Go check out their website at unstruck.com. Find out what they got going on. want to thank Kirk for joining us. Uh, and of course, our friends over at Kickcaster for hooking us up with this fantastic guest. And also, I want to remind you guys, if you're listening on your favorite uh, pod catcher, make sure you give us a nice uh, review and uh, give us five stars, not four, because we're all five-star human beings and we appreciate everybody listening to the radio program. And don't forget to tune in next week right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Uh, We'll be bringing it to you live at 12 o'clock Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Ryan Treasure, and thanks for finding your frequency. Hey, what's up, everybody? So glad you tuned into the show today. What a great show it is. Like I said earlier in the show, at the end, I was going to give you some more information on our live stereo session on the stereo app. Stereo app users can engage with the platform to listen in, seek out topics, and join conversations about issues and ideas that interest them. There is no lack of content on that application. You can flip through many conversations, ask questions, join ones, make your own. Wide-ranging topics on stereo. Comedy, pop culture, lifestyle, sports, business, technology. The app can be downloaded for free by Apple and Android users. Once users download the app, they'll be able to create an avatar and a profile. (laughs) I had so much fun making my avatar. It was super cool. Users can submit the audio messages to hosts of conversations to join those conversations in real time. Finding Your Frequency will have a live audience interactive episode on Stereo. We're going to be doing this every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific time on the Stereo app. Again, Finding Your Frequency is going to be having a live audience interactive episode every week, Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific time. We're going to do question and answers. We're going to talk about technology. We're going to talk about business. We're going to talk about marketing. We're going to talk about how people found their frequency in life and in business and why they decided to do what they do and take questions from people that are listening to the show and allow you guys to engage with us. And I really hope to see you on Stereo. Again, Stereo.com forward slash Radio Ryan 1 live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific time. So again, come to Stereo.com forward slash Radio Ryan 1. Once you get in there, follow me and make sure you guys tune into the show. Thanks for listening.